0: Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. We are so excited today. We are here talking with one of our favorite Hallmark writers today. Uh, We are talking with Cassidy Carter and I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Bree's here. Hello everybody. And Cassidy, thank you so much for coming back on. This is your third time here. Third time. I'm so glad to have you back.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, Thanks for having me back. I love to hang out with you guys.
0: Yeah, so fun and uh, last time we had you was last August, which is feels like an eternity ago, a lifetime, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) So how have you been? How was your uh, How was your holidays? Good. I feel like last year, despite you know everything, kind of sped by. Well, I was very busy, and so you know, life and kids and stuff like that, and it just, I feel like Christmas was just here, and now you know. I mean, if we want to bust out the Timberlake, it's going to be May, right? Um, yeah.
0: yeah, the what they say the days drag, but the weeks fly by.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I was so. If baked, I had 48 like, hour days, I would still find a way to like not like fill them up and be like, I don't have enough time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, love
1: on location,
2: Cassidy Carter. <laughs> Oh <laughs> like yeah. that was one of my favorite books of last year.
1: <laughs> oh that's so sweet. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a really it was a really fun one to write. And then I was super thrilled about the sequel. So yeah.
0: Yeah, Bree is Starstruck.
1: Oh, don't be. <laughs>
2: I was we'll so like it, it was honestly like one of my first Hallmark publishing books.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, it I, I was bought in the that first one kind in. of round. It wasn't a launch book level location, but it was one of one of, among the first originals, and okay. uh, so yeah, it was early. It uh, the second one was in the works for quite a while, so hopefully, next one won't be. But we'll see. We'll see. Like I said, I need to find some time. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so what was writing day. like for you? This this year and finishing this book and, and, uh, did you find it kind of harder or easier or just the same? Or what was that like?
1: The second book was a little harder. Um, well, I think a second book is always a challenge. We kind of have established world from love on location. And so I was writing in split screen. Um, you know, I had love on location on one side and, you know, the draft of wedding in the pines on the other, uh, So I'm fact-checking myself the whole time, right? Make sure that I don't, you know, use the wrong name or call somebody the wrong age or, you know, the dog is suddenly brown instead of like black and white spots. So the consistency is a little difficult between, because it's been quite some time since I drafted Love on Location, you know, it went through the publication process and that takes like a year for everything to kind of go on behind the scenes. And then two, for a second book, I feel like you have to balance between people who have read you know, writing for people who have read the first book and then writing for people who have never read the first book. So I wanted everybody to be able to kind of pick up Wedding in the Pines and be able to read it as a standalone. But I I really like fan service. I know not a lot of people do, but I love putting stuff in for people who have followed like something creative prior. And so I wanted to put some Easter eggs in, but I was like, if I put too much, people are going to be like, she's not even talking to us and nobody will get it. And they'll just think I'm weird. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you probably can't do much of sort of pantsing when you're dealing with a sequel. No, uh, because I you have to it a lot
1: more actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, you have to plan it uh, when you're dealing with keeping everything in in uh, matching with the original book, especially if people really enjoyed it, like we did. And uh, but did you find yourself it, it being harder to motivate yourself during COVID or? Uh, sure
1: it was a little harder to find time. I I'm a night owl though. So like mm-hmm. I do a lot of work at night, but my children homeschool mm-hmm. and we start, we actually started that last year when everything kind of when everything kind of shut down for covid because my older daughter is like very advanced in uh reading and stuff like that. And so we were kind of on the fence about homeschooling and then we were like, well, forced trial run, right? Yeah. And it went so well And she just kind of thrived like doing it. So we kind of stuck with it. We're sticking with it, but there's a unique challenge there. And like, I tend to be a night owl. And so I will stay up at least midnight. One o'clock is like not unusual for me. So I know that you've messaged me before late because sometimes you tend to be a night owl. And like, (laughs) I'll just reply right away. I'll be like, um, but Now all day at school and, you know, getting the kids to do their stuff. So finding whatever time I used to during the day to write, it all has to happen at night. So that was a little bit of a pivot, but it wasn't necessarily more difficult because I'm one of those people that's like grumpy in the morning. And then the second like eight o'clock hits, I'm like, you know, Mm-hmm.
2: I envy you, night owls. I'm such an early bird. Like, Are you? come 4 45, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, time to start the day. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to myself. be a night
1: person. <laughs> the last couple of weeks, I've forced myself to get up early, which has not changed. It's just changed the amount of sleep I get. But um, I forced myself to get up early because I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to working out and exercising. And blah, blah. so I try to do that before they wake up. And then I come home and get all this stuff done. But, um, so I don't know. I envy the morning people because I feel so like how many hours I... of
2: sleep do you get? Because- yeah, I know,
1: but you get a lot more accomplished. I'm just like, I don't miss the sleep, but I think early morning people get a lot more accomplished in the world. I'm just in here, you know, hunched over my computer like a vampire, like
2: at midnight. I think as women, it just sounds like it's, we want to take advantage of like every hour of oh, the yeah. day.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going to miss out if I sleep. Why would I go to yeah. sleep? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just envy anybody who sleeps, like yeah. as, like I just struggle with sleep my whole life. I have yeah, so yeah. So say, I'm a, it's a, not-
2: like a a romance nerd. I have to ask, how did you start reading and write? Like, how did you when did you start reading romance? When did you start writing it? And are there any authors that like inspire the stories that you now love to tell that you're an
1: author? So I started reading. I was probably twelve. Or thirteen, I was probably a little younger than I should have been reading some of the romance novels that I was. <laughs> but I grew up in like rural Tennessee. I mean, like a town of like three thousand people. When everybody's home from work, right? Okay. Um. So the in the next town over, you have to go to town, right? And it's still like a forty-five minute drive. There was a used bookstore, and it was called the Bookseller, and a seller like somebody's basement. And so when I was like 12, 13, I had like allowance, right? But wasn't a lot of allowance. So, this place had a bin of books with the covers torn off. You guys ever seen like the publishers do the destroyed yeah, copies? the bookstores
2: got to get a rid of piece.
1: them. And so, I could take my like five bucks and I could come out with a stack like this big, and most of what was in there was romance. But this was back in that, like all the little like uh, Harlequin like category romances, I kind of cut my teeth on. And my mom didn't care what I read as long as I was reading. So, I would get like, <laughs> like all these romance novels with the covers torn off, but they kind of ran the gamut. It was like Grace Livingston Hill and all the way up to like Smalls and like all the like kind of like racy stuff that I probably was a little spicier than my 13 year old self should have had a hold of. But <laughs> so there are so many like sub genres in romance that I feel like I got really hooked on that. You know, there's paranormal, you know, there's time travel, there's like you know, ooh, we straightened on Desert Island together. And so, I don't know. It's just kind of really captured me young. And um, I don't know. There's a ton of authors. You guys are putting me on the spot a little bit there. Mm-hmm. but um, Do you, do read you ever anybody. read Susan Elizabeth Phillips? Oh, yeah. Susan Elizabeth yeah, Phillips. Her. Of course, everybody reads Nora, right? When they read romance. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nora Roberts. Grace I and was like...
2: I had no idea Nora Roberts wrote Category Romance. I I co-host yeah. a, a Category Romance podcast, and my uh-huh. co-host was like, "Yes, Nora Roberts wrote Category." Romance.
1: You would well, be surprised at how many the big names started out in Category. Um, because I mean, I don't know. You produce books quickly, and you get them to readers. So Category, to me, is like the way that like Kindle Direct gets things to readers now. For like all these indie authors that are just able to put out you know, what they love to write and what their readers love to read, like really fast category was that before digital publishing. So there's amazing talent in categories and there's like so many big names came from categories. So I don't know. That's interesting. I will go have to look at that podcast or you'll have to link it so that I can go.
0: Yeah, we can put it in the in the description for sure. But the thing I thought about this book, uh, "Wedding in the Pines," is which I loved, uh, is that it's kind of half sequel, half spinoff. I would say, uh huh. Right, and so what? So what kind of made you go that route?
1: So I wanted to expand the world of cabins in the pines, and I thought about when I was kind of drafting. Uh, you know, we kicked around some ideas for this book, and. It was originally, the heroine was going to be like like a, a relative of somebody that was already at the Pines, or I thought about, you know, maybe a new employee. There was a lot of things that I thought of in kind of planning out the sequel. And then I thought, okay, if I bring somebody... I wanted to flip it, right? Because in Love on Location, we had Wyatt and Delaney who were already at the Pines and they were in the relationship. So I wanted at least the obviously you need a tie to the Pines. And so I picked Slater, and then I thought, "Okay, I want somebody to come from outside. I want there to feel like we're at the Pines and we still have this beautiful location and we can kind of revisit all the like, you know, description that we did from book 1, but I wanted the world to feel a little bigger." So I wanted Slater's ex to be from you know his past and to readers to really get an idea that like I don't want to stay in the kind of isolated world of the pines that everyone had an outside life and and such and such but still make the book feel small and kind of intimate because we're on the grounds of the pines so like spinoffy kind of if I have future book ideas I don't think that I'm gonna go outside the campground necessarily, but I would love to bring in more elements of that so that you feel like the world is still bigger. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, so why don't you, for people that are new to it, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, about the book and, uh, the characters?
1: So Wedding in the Pines is the sequel to Love on Location, as we've been talking about. Uh, Love on Location was set in a campground called Cabins in the Pines. Um, The first book featured Wyatt and Delaney. He owns the campground, has inherited it from his parents, and she's his uh, kind of right-hand gal. And they've been friends since childhood. Uh, Their love story happens in book one. And now we're at book two, Wedding in the Pines, and they're actually getting married. Uh, So book two is set around their wedding. The craziness of their wedding. Um, Wyatt is being a groomzilla, so he's very stressed and uh, he's like not handling it well.
0: And she's like the
1: cool, calm, collected one, like everything's going to be fine, honey, go sit down. And um, Slater, who was head of maintenance at the old campground before it got renovated. So in book one, the campground was renovated by a reality television show. Um, Book two, they have expanded. They are half campground, half executive retreat to a big fancy schmancy other side of the lake facility. And um, the wedding is taking place around uh, kind of both of these places. But the reception was planned for the ballroom on the executive resort side. Well, it got double booked and so they can't have it. It's like a big disaster. Slater, who is now managing the executive resort side of the Pines um, is supposed to be the best man. And so he kind of freaks because it was double booked by a business conference headed by his ex-girlfriend. He hasn't seen her since they broke up, not really broke up since she just dumped him. (laughs) And so it's a surprise that she shows up. They're kind of forced together for this time because it's a very important thing. nobody discovers this until the conference is underway and they can't just pick up and go. And he can't just pick up and go, even though he wants to just flee the property um, because it's his best friend's wedding. And he's in charge of a whole lot of stuff. He's responsible for a whole lot of stuff about the daily operations of the executive side. So it's work, it's personal. And now it's really personal. So that's kind of what's going on when we first get into wedding in the pines. And then the book just kind of follows how they reconnect and what eventually comes out of that. That's really
0: good. Well, so how did you come up with the names of Hope and Slater?
1: Um, that is a good one. Okay. So sometimes when I do names, I pull them from stuff. Um, they're like referential. Uh, sometimes I just say, okay, I've used an A name, a B name, a D name, an S name. I need something right in here. And so I'll pick it in the middle of the alphabet and pick something that I think is cute. I would actually have to go back and look at my notes on this one. Slater would be a note from Love on Location, so I have—I don't remember how I named it. <laughs> you can't ask me to remember these things. You <laughs> that I never go to sleep? Um, well, I thought it might be from Save by the Bell. No, but that would be amazing. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, he's more the surfer boy type. Uh, he's a little more Zach Morris, I guess, if you were picturing him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But no, and Hope, uh, I don't know. That's just a cute name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think maybe Hope might have been that. So, like, make sure that I don't overlap and use two <laughs> same consonant name things.
0: So you have a second chance romance here. And <laughs> Bree and I were kind of joking that we've read, uh, we've read all second chance romance lately. And it's a tough thing to pull off. And... Uh, What for you are the challenges of kind of writing second chance romance?
1: So second chance is difficult to me in like, I think it's a little similar to writing a second book. You have to make sure to establish enough about their past together that readers kind of identify with them and know where they came from, why they split up or why they never got together in the first place. But you can't, (laughs) to me, unless you're writing something a little heavier or something maybe in a little different subgenre of romance for sweet romance, I don't feel like you can make either one of them giant jerks. You know what I mean? Like you can't make somebody have, you know, you know, I accidentally, you know, backed over your dog or something like that. And so we, but, or you can't have them have done something so unforgivable that the reader's not going to believe in like that this love should be redeemed or that these people should get a second chance together. They're going to be like, don't date him, girl. And so that's a little bit of a challenge to me is like finding enough that there's enough conflict to have kept them apart, but not, it's not so extreme that you don't want them back together.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love second chance. And I know me too. To it's
1: one of my favorites because then you just get to be so like angsty. Like I love the angst. <laughs> not in my personal life but in my writing.
0: well yeah because you because you you want a little bit of that but you can't have too much that they end up feeling bitter yeah the there was a movie a couple of years ago on hallmark with um uh laurie laughlin and victor webster at christmas i can't Um, think of the name but but he was so he was so bitter and i'm just like you're a grown man. Get over it. Yeah. She she went to New York,
1: got a career. Move I know, on. I know. Get some therapy. And either yeah. call her or don't. <laughs> like he'd had like multiple relations.
0: I think you even had a daughter. I don't know. I just like you need to you need to calm down. Yeah, uh, it's a tough, but it's tough, tough to do. Yeah.
1: It is. Yeah. And so you want, and then you want the reasons that they're apart to be relatable to the reader too. you want to be able to read a book and be like, okay, if I was in his position or her position, like I could see making different choices or life getting in the way or all these things happening where I'm like, okay, this person isn't the right choice for me now. But then life changes and situations change, people's maturity changes. And then maybe people grow up, and can be together maybe people grow past you know problems that they had in the past and maybe they need to be apart to do that sometimes so i don't know it's mm-hmm. that's a little challenging to me is like like i said striking the balance between like there's enough that they couldn't have gotten back together in the past but enough has changed now that they can
0: so in this book you have a songwriting as an element and you actually have songs slash poems involved. And was uh-huh. that tough to to write the not, songs?
1: Not really. I mean, I wrote that. And so we kind of uh, a little bit put it to music. Like, you know, I'm a huge fan of musicals and stuff like that. So when I told my older daughter that I was going to put a song in this book, we would like be cooking breakfast or something. And I'm like, what about this? And we just like bust out a little like lyric and we'd be scribbling. And so... Um, She'd try and make a little tune to what got put in the book. And um, I will never sing it. And I will never <laughs> record it. But it's in the book. And you guys can make up the music in your head. And uh, it was really cute while we were cooking eggs. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I, I like
2: love that. it. I love when inspiration comes to you at the most random times. Like, yeah. we're making eggs in the kitchen. And that what I came up with is in the book. <laughs>
1: yeah. I've got to get those five minutes in, like I said.
0: Yeah. Well, it was really good because it helped uh, create kind of momentum of, uh, and and when she f- finally sings the, shows up to oh, sing the song, it was like,
1: yes. <laughs> I know. It was so cute. I know. It was so cute. I like the grand gesture too. Is that something you guys like in like romance? And even if you see it coming, like I'm a sucker for it every time. You're like, he's going to show up or she's going to show up, but like, it still gets me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's too. like the version of the airport run, like everywhere. And I'll take it a hundred times. I love it so yeah.
0: much. I like the grand gesture, except for when it's like embarrassing. Then I don't like that. Like, I, I, I swear if I, if, if anybody ever tried to propose to me by on the, like the on the sports cam, you know, the arena or whatever, oh,
1: like the kiss cam? forget
0: it. I'm out.
1: <laughs> right. I can't no. watch those. I can't watch those videos where they do the compilations of the kiss cam. And it's <laughs> like somebody that's like not supposed to be at the game together. And you're watching and know you here or, or it's like, there was one I saw where the guy just, I guess they must've, it must've happened to them before. He goes to the game with his games with his sisters Baseball. Yeah, I've seen that. So he made a sign, and every time they would focus this kiss cam on them, he just held a sign up that was like, "Bro, this is my sister." <laughs> yeah,
0: right. yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so hope in the novel, she she sacrifices Slater and uh, and uh, her songwriting. To help her mother uh, when her mother gets sick, mm-hmm. and so there's really there's a, quite a bit about grief, which I think is part of the reason why the breakup, kind of their motivation, makes sense and works. Yeah, uh, but uh, what was that like writing for Hope and and kind of her character?
1: Well, I think being you know I'm not in my 20s anymore. So you get kind of older and you start losing family members and stuff like that. And my grandmother passed, uh, not this past February, but the February before. So we've just passed the year mark. So um, to me, I kind of identified with that in a way. I was very close to my grandma. And with Hope, you can kind of see, like I I handled grief differently now as an, an older adult than I would have in my 20s. And I just kept thinking back to when... Hope and Slater would have broken up. She would have been in her very early 20s, you know. So if you're 20, 21, 22, and that's that first loss for you, it hits like really hard. And, you know, it was a tailspin for me losing my grandmother, but I was, you know, we've experienced loss in our family before. So I'm not going to say that it ever gets easier, but you learn a little more how to deal with it. Um, but if that's your first loss and you feel she kind of felt the weight of all this responsibility and having to shoulder all of this that came down on her after her mother passed, you know, her father didn't deal with his grief very well, and so he put a lot on her that maybe he shouldn't have. Um, but her mother was kind of the you know cornerstone of the family, and when she passed away, hope just automatically shouldered a lot, she felt obligated and responsible to do that, and then she felt. Obligated to, and it was a bit of a knee jerk reaction too, because in that way she didn't deal well with her grief. She just kind of jettisoned Slater, where he might have been there for her and supported her. It was too much on top of her grief to deal with her father's disapproval on top of the loss of her mother and having to deal with that herself, deal with the business, deal with, and just everything piled on for her. And like I said, because she was so young, I think it's, you know, a little more likely that she didn't respond the way that someone who has experience with grief and necessarily maybe necessarily a little more support, um, would have dealt with it. So she made the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's apparent now that she made the wrong choice, but at the time it seemed what was best. It seemed what was easiest. You know, she just let go of that friction that she would have had to deal with in her relationship with him. And she took on the role that she thought she needed to and was most important at the time. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the best because she's not necessarily the happiest in the work that she's doing now. And so she let go of songwriting, which also was an outlet for her and could have helped her at the time. But um, I don't know. I think it's very common in grief to kind of, especially if you, you're you not experienced with it. I mean, at any time, really, whether you're experienced with it or not, we react different ways, you know, to different things. And um, I think she just was a knee jerk. She was like, this is easier And she kind of compartmentalized it and she put it away. And then when she comes back and she sees him again, it kind of comes back to her how happy she was in hindsight and how that might have been something in her life that would have supported her and made her happy in the long run. But she gave it up because she didn't necessarily have the best reaction to her mother, you know, passing away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was very relatable. I I think there's nothing like that first experience, like you're saying, when you lose, uh, you lose somebody. And I mean, I, I still remember when my grandpa passed away and I still, I still, it was, that was 2001 and mm-hmm. I still miss him all the time. Yeah. It was, it was very difficult. yeah So I can only imagine if it was a mother. Oh yeah. my gosh.
1: Yeah. And then she has her father who is supposed to be kind of the strength and, you know, we think a lot in life, we look up to our parents because when we're young, I mean, they care for us and, and they're like our everything. And then she loses half of that. And so she expects that her father's going to kind of take up that strength and be someone for her to lean on. But it's the flip. It's that she ends up having to support him. Um, and so, again, she kind of has to jettison a lot of her own, um, like, dreams, ideas, and, like, something that might've, you know, assisted her in the time. And she just kind of comes to his aid. So something else that she has to deal with, because again, people don't always react how we expect in tragic circumstances. And that doesn't necessarily make them bad people. It's just that everybody's reaction is different. And I think in the book, you know, if you'll, you know, as readers will see, he kind of comes to the realization that that wasn't the best way for him to handle it. And, and so there's a second chance there too, you know, with hope in her father, so there's more than one layer to second chance in this book, which is another thing that I really liked. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Her father comes grief.
1: around.
2: There's something about grief and second chance that I love to see. Um, like I love um, cottage by the sea by mm. Debbie May Comber. Yeah. Joanne Ross has a really good, Oh gosh. I'm, it's like her Heron's landing series, but like, yeah. I love, there's something about grief that, the character growth is just something totally different that you're, then you're going to see anywhere else because it really shapes so much of like the people that we become and the relationships that, you know, we've had all of our lives, but now the loss of this person, like just changes the dynamics of so much. So mm-hmm. yeah, it I can love change
1: your perception. Love... It could change your perception of like how important time is, you yeah. know, and like that first hit, and especially if you're young, you, you still feel a little invincible, you know, when you're young and you're like, I still have a lot of time, but then it kind of hits you like we don't have forever. And so you start looking at the quality of the time that you spend, what you do with your time. And I think maybe when you get through grief and you process it, it, it gives you a little bit of perspective on uh, your time as like a finite resource, you know? Yeah. And so you start viewing it as a little more precious.
0: Yeah. So there is a new character also named Annie and I really liked their friendship, Hope and Annie's friendship. I thought that was really, really well done because really that's for the, because that's the opening to the novel is their friendship. And then, you know, eventually Slater comes in, but Mm -hmm. I, I could have even just had a book just about the two of them. I thought they were really fun. Yeah.
1: They're really, everybody needs an Annie. Every yes. that girl that's in your corner, but will still tell you, like if you're doing something that's just like, not, like no, she'll she'll support you unless you're messing up. Um, and so everybody needs an Annie. I loved her, um, and I like that we open the book and it's not immediately immediately we get very quickly to the romance because that's important too. Like we don't want to keep our hero and heroine apart for half the book, but I thought it was important to establish that you know, Hope does have this life outside of the romance that's a, that's going to become, you know, the central tenet yeah. of the book. Um, and that she does have these very uh, connected and rich relationships with other people. Uh, even though she's distant from her father, it's not like she's split up with Slater and she's become this isolated, uh, you know, yes. just like Hermity person. And even though she's not happy in her work position, she's really good at it. So I thought that was important, too. You know, she's very strong. She's very confident. She's very good at what she does, even though it's not necessarily the choice that she would have made in her ideal dreams. She still kills it. And so I thought that Hope and Annie's friendship really established both of them as just very strong, well-rounded individual people outside the romance, which I think is really important Um, because you want to know that she's not just been sitting around pining for him, you know, She's been mm. out there building a life, you know, doing her own thing. And this is just this one small piece of her that never got like resolved. Yeah. Mm.
2: That's yeah. what I loved. I love when like it bothers me sometimes when like you read these books or you watch the movies and it's like, I left my small town and I'm in the big city. And like the character just seems so exhausted and so depressed. Like I was like, hope seems okay. I mean, what woman is like a hundred percent? happy with her life we all have something that we're like I would have done this differently you know but she seemed okay you know and I really like seeing that she seemed fulfilled yeah there was you know room for some love I Mm -hmm. feel like there always is but I loved just how like okay she was she was
1: yeah like had Slater never come along or that thing never gotten double booked she'd been all right like yeah she still would have wistfully thought about him during open mic nights, right? But she's doing okay. But I love that too. I love the um, concept of choosing people. Yes. Loving, yes. you know, love is a choice and, you know, they, like I said, they didn't make good choices in the past, so they didn't end up together, but time has shaped them. And I mean, I don't want to spoil the book. Everybody knows there's a happily ever after, but- um, I think two people who are fulfilled and accomplished on their own. Choosing each other is also very beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Well,
0: I think if you ever do a third book, Mm. it would be Annie and Investor Jack (laughs) spinoff. I don't
1: know. I don't know who I'm going to put Jack with yet.
0: He was there. Yeah, because I can see it because he was a pretty, pretty good other guy, I would say. Yeah,
1: he was a pretty good other guy. And he has mm-hmm. a private
0: jet. Yeah. Well, and especially because, uh, well, I won't say that because that's a spoiler. Uh, but uh, but I, I could see, especially where Annie ends up at the end of the book, it being being perfect, being good. So if you, I'll that's, yeah, age. that's my idea passed on to you. <laughs> <laughs> you, heard
2: it, you ever feel that though? Like, because we as readers, like, we'll read the book and we're like, okay, this friend definitely needs a book. Do you as the writer, are you ever like, dang, Annie never got a book, and like, Uh, if she's calling to you, but you're like, I'm done with that series, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't know, like, I, I definitely want her to pop back up. Um, I definitely want her to pop back up. of course, when you're writing people, you're like, you know, creating people. Um, You're like, oh, I want to meet them again. I want to use them again. You don't just want to like write them once and then put them away. I mean, maybe some authors do, but I don't. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think of like everybody in the whole universe and I'm like, okay, I would love for Annie to have her own book. Do something with Jack. No promises about who I'm going to hook him up (laughs) with. But, um, and then I honestly, I think about like, um, Rachel, not Rachel, but Rachel in the book, like, I'm like, Ooh, what, what about like four books from now? If Rachel is in her twenties and like all of a sudden maybe we could give her her own book. Yes. And I'm like, well, we married Maisie and Charles in the first book. Like what's going to happen with them? I have like all these little, so I'm constantly thinking about what to do with the secondaries, but there's only, there's only so many books and um, but yeah, I love it. I, well, love I the did like
0: stories. I did like the you brought back Love Struck High. Ah,
1: yeah, that was yeah. a little bit for you and uh, Lisa. Yes.
0: Yeah, that was good <laughs> for, uh, for Rachel's storyline. That was really fun. Yeah, it, it was, was very cute. Because uh, if people haven't read the original book, there's a television show, reality television show. I'd love Struck High, which is very good.
1: Yeah, it's like that very angsty teen drama, Degrassi kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> there's, there's a character from the actor that plays the character in the reality show that the daughter watches in book one actually factors into book two. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And uh,
0: so you had a lot of characters in this yeah. novel It was that must have been tough to balance all of these characters. And
1: I had to outline a lot more this time than I did the first time because the cast was smaller. And again, I think of that the balance of who to bring in and how much to kind of have everybody from book one in book two while still keeping Slater and Hope like central. So everybody doesn't say, well, okay, now it's the Wyatt and Delaney's wedding show. but then uh, making sure that the wedding scene was expansive enough for people that wanted like all the wedding feels and um, and stuff. So I, I outlined a lot more in this book than I did level locations, strictly because of all the characters that came over from book one. Mm-hmm. Was How it fun it writing you? and
0: planning uh, uh, the, the wedding slash yeah. gala?
1: Yes. It was very fun. I was like Pinteresting dresses and like the <laughs> Like I have like a little folder that's like Delaney's dress and this is the sleeve and this is the skirt and this is the blah. And then um, like all the things that had to be done because, you know, like for a wedding, it's ridiculous nowadays. Like the people spend, just in the, my research, people spend like the cost of a house practically on weddings. Yeah. It's oh, crazy. Gosh. There's like finance companies that are like, we will finance your wedding. If we have to finance like getting married. <laughs> just buy me a house. Yeah,
0: it's like uh Steve Martin says at the beginning of uh, of Father of the Bride. And he's like uh, he, he's like, that's getting married. A wedding is an entirely different proposition. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
2: I like reading this book. I'm like, she had to have like a Pinterest board for this. (laughs) I
1: didn't make the board. She could have made the board. I didn't make the board, but I I was like definitely picking out. Yeah, there was a mood. It wasn't a board. Mm. (laughs) How long
2: did it take you, like start to finish, to do the book?
1: Um. Okay. So I draft really, really fast. Planning probably took me two months. But drafting only took me about four weeks. So, when writing it actually only totally took me about four weeks. But then that draft goes to the publisher, and then you have to go through a couple rounds of editing. So, you get story notes from an editor that's like, This is Dragon, cut it. Or, We don't really need to know this here. Or, You're getting too far afield. What the heck is she thinking on page 70? Uh, all this stuff. So, it goes through cuts, rearranging. Like all this stuff to just tweak it and make it like perfect. But my drafting process is really fast. Um, And then you go through those edits and then everything like your, I guess, your story issues or whatever to make it polished. They get smaller and smaller every time. So your first round may be like, oh my gosh, it's 60 pages until they first see each other. You need to cut this in half. And so you kind of have to go in and a little bit kill your darlings and be like, oh, I love the way I described that, but it's got to go. So you just tighten everything up and then it gets down to a detailed level where it's like, oh, page 10, you said that she used her cell phone flashlight and page 12, she's pulling a flashlight out of her pocket. Like what gives? So it gets smaller and smaller on the edits and you eventually get to something really polished. But as far as drafting goes, like that first rough draft, it always happens really fast for me. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that I think the editing part would be the hardest, most painful part
1: for me. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, just because like my day, I'm a book editor by day. So I know Rachel knows this, but maybe you don't breathe. Like every day I'm just out here like correcting other people's stories. You, okay. get, you get too close mm. to your own work though. Uh, so you get too close to it. And then some other editor will read it and point it out to you. And you're like, Oh, why didn't I see that? But it's like the perfect note and it's something that makes the book just better as a whole. And publishing is a business when it comes down to it. I love writing. I love the creative side of it. I love doing all the little research and all the little fan interaction, everything that comes with the creativity and pers- uh, like personable part of writing. But the bi- you kind of have to think about the business side of it too. That in the end, it's product and you want it to be the best it can be. So it's easy in that way for me to kind of distance myself from it once I draft it. Um, I oh, still yeah. do occasionally have a pang where I'm like, oh, I really loved that. <laughs> like, I, I want that, that. That's what I would think and would be hard. Like, yeah. but no, I want I that know. conversation. In there. Oh, and if I held on to absolutely everything, then I would never put a book out. It would be like six years between books and people would completely forget about it between. And uh, so you do have to be a tiny bit ruthless when you edit. And it's it's just an acquired thing to be distant from it because... Mm-hmm. You know, you get kind of old hat at it, but it still stings a little sometimes.
0: <laughs> so if you were, if they were making a movie of mm-hmm. Wedding in the Pines, who would you cast uh, for Slater and Hope?
1: You asked me this on Love and Location and I had them for Love and Location. <laughs> I have vague ideas for this book, but like, I don't have anybody specific from the Hallmark world because... Mm-hmm. Hope her last name is Bergman, right? Hope Bergman. She's Jewish. It's not explicit in the book, oh. but I'm half Jewish. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make my girl Jewish. At one point she says, oy. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make her Jewish because we kind of have a little family legend. Oh, I was a legend. Like I have a distant cousin on my father's side who um, the family kind of wanted him to go into business and, um, and be like very responsible. And he kind of bucked that expectation and became a very famous cellist in New York. And this was a couple wow. generations ago. Yeah. He's a distant cousin. And so I really loved that story. And so that influenced a little bit of the hope stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to make my girl Jewish from the Jewish side of my family. So, um, so I don't really have anybody in mind for her because like, I have a specific, like, you know, like I kind of set her up from that side of my family. And I can't think of any actresses that I would like have play her. Um, I think Slater's a little Grayson Holt looking little like that kind Mm of Mm -hmm. kind of like rugged, but I would love to know what you guys think. If you were thinking of anybody, you were thinking of somebody. You were
0: thinking. Yeah. I totally fan cast. Do you fan cast uh, Brie when you read? I do. Yeah.
2: I remember messaging you and I'm like, Is Love on Location a movie? And you're like, no. And I'm like, why not?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I think we. You said Grayson Holt, and it made me think of uh, her part, her uh, co lead in her movie this last Christmas. Uh, I mean, his movie this last Christmas with uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Yeah, I hope that would be a good. That would be really cute. Mm. She's adorable. She's so fun. Yeah. And I don't know. I just think that she would do a good, she's a good actress. So I think yeah. she would do a really good job. She would fit yeah. the role.
1: Yeah.
0: hmm Yeah. Maybe Brooke DiOrsay is Annie. Yeah. It's probably. Yeah. It'd probably, she probably wouldn't want to take a supporting role, but she would, that would be fun. I think they would do well together. Yeah. Did you have anybody breathe that you saw as Hope and Slater? <sighs>
2: Slater, I'm still stuck on. But what was our girl from the Christmas movie with the Wonder Years guy? Not the the Wonder Years. Um, yeah, yeah. First Year's World. The heroine in that movie. That's who I kept thinking of. The Hanukkah Mm -hmm. movie? I think just the Hanukkah movie. Yeah. I think that's why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um. could work. Hero, Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, my favorite is... (laughs) My favorite hero is Luke McFarlane, so I want to cast him in everything, but I don't know if he's going to fit this one.
0: He would be good, I think, as Slater, as sort of the, uh, the, I feel like he would do a good job with, because he knows how to do like woodworking and stuff like, I feel like Paul Campbell would also be very good. Yeah. As Slater.
1: We just need to put it out there, all Hallmark men. If you would just tweet us pictures of you chopping wood, then we'll continue. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, or now Mater, he would be good. Yeah, yeah, he would be a good Slater. I can see that.
2: We just need this as like a summer movie.
1: Yeah, a good summer. Oh, um, we need love. To I, I keep location.
2: thinking love on location. We need love on location first because that's book yeah. one. <laughs> And then wedding on the wedding on the find.
0: Yeah, I think we said Andrew Walker for uh, yep. Wyatt. I think yep. is what we said. <laughs>
2: yeah, Delaney just has to be a Spitfire.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so for maybe Delaney, Alicia Witt. It was Sarah Lancaster that I was. Oh, I was saying
0: Delaney. Yeah, she would be great. We need to get her back into Hallmark movies, so that would yes, be good.
1: I haven't seen her in anything forever. <laughs> and I love it because you know, I'm like a big first of all, I was a huge Chuck van. Yeah. And so she played, you know, the sister on Chuck. And then all of her, her Hallmark stuff is adorable. And like she's still really good actress.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And she
1: gets to wear the wedding dress. So from Publishers
0: Weekly's best-selling author of a simple wedding comes a story about second chances, starting over, and most of all, the importance of friendship. Lee Duncan's brand new Sugar Sand Beach series is the perfect escape for fans of Pamela Kelly, Rachel Hanna, Debbie McComer, and Amelia Adler. It's heartwarming, sweet women's fiction at its finest. Read the first book in the series, The Gift at Sugar Sand Inn, Available now exclusively from Amazon and in Kindle Unlimited. For more information about Lee's next release and to download a free sample of her work, visit her website at LeeDuncan.com. We have some fun. We always like to end on some fun questions. And you've already done our, our regular questions. So we have to give you our holiday
1: questions. OK, so what, so. We do, what did we do? Tiger Beat last time?
0: Yeah, and so now these are the holiday version, and you can do any hall, any Hanukkah or Christmas or whatever you celebrate. So, all right,
1: first question: What is your favorite holiday drink? Oh, uh, I love eggnog, and this may be controversial, but I love eggnog. I love it. Some people say gross. No, I'm like, (laughs) I wish it was here year round because I put it in my coffee. Yeah. Which is I coffee. like
0: it, but I do have to dilute it a little bit with
1: some milk because it's a little thick for me, but. So are you, are you, are you not a coffee drinker? No, no. Tea? I like herbal tea. Okay. So chai, do you like chai or not? Nah? Um, no, more like, like chamomile and things like that. Okay. So any kind of cinnamon tea, I do chai because mm-hmm. but a single shot of espresso and a like a cup of, ch- in a cup of chai with eggnog is like life-changing. <laughs> there that you nice. go, Rachel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite holiday
1: cookie or treat? So I'm not a big sweets person, but I will take like a good, like, you know, you show up to a Christmas party and they always have like the, the meats and cheeses and olives and um stuff like that. I'll just carry that off by myself. So just make me a good platter with like the some whole board. Get it to <laughs> yeah. me. You guys can keep the cookies and the pies and all of that stuff. And I'll just be over here in the corner with some tapenade and a spoon.
2: <laughs> with a little rolled up ham yeah, and cheese.
1: The pan- and cheese like, and yeah, exactly. Them. Exactly. Give me some soap. <laughs> <of that. laughs>
0: You're like in and, you, and you've got mail, you're taking all the caviar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. What is fancy. your
1: not that fancy.
0: Yeah. What is your favorite Christmas song or carol?
1: Um Oh gosh. That's a really tough one. Um I don't know. I like the fun, like gaggy one, like the kind of silly ones, like I, you know, grandma got run over by a reindeer and like I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Yeah. But then, um, I also like, is it Wham? That's like, you're supposed to go all Christmas without hearing like that last last Christmas Christmas. Christmas. and (laughs) the last person to actually hear it like wins. So I love that. I think that's cheesy and awesome. But, um, I don't know. I like a lot of traditional, like Park the Herald Angels, all the like classic anything that's like very orchestral, and um, you put in the Christmas CDs. Anything that's like that very classic Christmas tune, I like
0: too. Yeah, I love it all. What's your favorite classic Christmas movie? the The, the one you like want to watch every year?
1: Movie. I like Miracle on 34th Street. I like Christmas. I, I like Die Hard because Die Hard is a Christmas mm-hmm. movie it is a christmas movie
0: we all agree very good all right what's your favorite scrooge or the grinch
1: scrooge well we should love them both and you know why because we love second chances
2: that's right <laughs> we do the grinch redeems himself too He does. Oh, that's right
0: does. uh so which do you like
1: better clear lights or colored Oh, okay. I'm gonna say clear, but only because of those icily ones that actually looks like it's snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are pretty. Those are yeah. cute. But I don't Would want to rather I want somebody else to put them up for me because that is a hassle. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's one thing you learn as you get older. You're like, I can have other people do stuff.
1: I don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> I was so bad this past holiday. I just bought a bunch of those, um, a bunch of those like things that project onto your house. Oh and right, I, I yeah. <laughs> This is fine. Yeah. This is fine. It's no big deal. There's like warnings on the internet, like don't point them certain directions because you're going to bring down planes and stuff. <laughs> so I safely pointed them, but that was all that I put on my house this past holiday. <laughs> that was like my, my pandemic effort for Christmas Lines.
0: Yeah. So would you rather be in a snowball fight or build a snowman?
1: Snowball fight. Okay. Uh,
0: would you consider
1: yourself a good gift wrapper? I'm an awful gift wrapper. Terrible. Same. Horrible. Same. I'm really, really bad at it. I'm the queen of gift bags. I will put tons of thought into what goes inside that bag. And you will probably love it because I'm an excellent gift giver. But as far as the wrapping, nah. Yeah. yeah. No. No. I'm, I don't I'm not great either. It. I don't even want yeah. All I right, last question. Together. If it rips on the corner, I'm just going to slap some tape on it and keep going. Exactly. <laughs> so, last question: Do you have an ugly Christmas sweater? Um, yes. So, speaking of Die Hard, I have an ugly Christmas sweater. Do you remember the oh, scene in Die Hard where the elevator opens and the guy's wearing the sign that says, "Now I have a machine gun"? Like, yes. <laughs> I have I an ugly sweat Christmas out. sweater that says that. <laughs> Nice. Yes.
2: My favorite Christmas sweater has Clark Griswold on it from the that's National Lampoons traffic. Christmas Vacation. That's great. <laughs> I love it's the ones so that light cozy. Up.
1: <laughs> I love the ones that like light up or that's like a T-Rex trying to wrap presents. Yes. Or something. Oh. <laughs> and like I would have a whole collection, but then I'm always worried if I like wash them that the little battery thing's gonna go out. And they're such yeah. an investment. Yeah. Wow. So three
2: <laughs> bonus question. Okay. Will oh, we yes. get a Cassidy Carter Christmas romance?
1: That is Even a near good future. question. I would love to. I have a lot of plans this year. I have a lot of plans this year. I may throw one in there because yeah, I love I writing for Christmas. I love writing for, I mean, we celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah at my house. My kids are very lucky. <laughs> and, um, so I don't know. It might not be Christmas it might be Christmas. I would love to do a holiday. Um, it might be Christmas. It might be Hanukkah. It might be a fusion of both. i I w I've been kind of thinking about it because, you know, Hallmark is so, you know, Christmas focused. I mean, that's like our like 4th of July and, um, Mm -hmm. it's just really fun to write. It's such a festive season. It's so fun and feeling-y.
0: Yeah. I could totally see a Christmas at the
1: Pines. Yes, yeah, so wouldn't that be cute? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a little bonus be. thing or something. I got to do a
2: Halloween at the Pines, okay? Like, I feel fun, like Halloween right? does not get enough love.
1: <laughs> yeah, a Halloween. Yeah, I mean, fall is so beautiful. Like, yeah, it could fit right into like the harvest season. Yeah, like, harvest. It you couldn't be too scary or anything like that. So.
0: Well, very good. You passed the test. You answered Thank all you. the questions.
1: Thank <laughs> you. I'm allowed to come back?
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, we are really excited about your new book. Congratulations. It's Thank an incredible so accomplishment. And uh, where can when can people get it? Where can they get it? Uh, and how do they find you
1: on social media? So it's coming out May 4th, Wedding in the Pines from Hallmark Publishing. Uh, you're going to be able to get it at all major online retailers, if I'm not mistaken, the paperback hits. I could be wrong. Don't hold me to this. So if you guys go to Walmart and can't find it on release day, don't tweet me. <laughs> well, you can tweet me and I'll still, still help. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, the paperback will be in Walmart as well. Target eventually, I think. But uh, your best bet for release day is your favorite online retailer. It's a, for pre-order because obviously it comes out in less than a week. So if you want it to get to you really, really fast, um, you know, ebook. For release day, or if you go ahead and pre-order, you'll get it within a day or two of uh release day from say Amazon. Um, you can find me on social media. I am most active on Twitter at Cass Carter books. Um, I am on Facebook, same Cass Carter books. Um, we have a couple of book clubs, like the Wear book club that I'm really active in on Facebook. So you guys could kind of join there if you want. Um, we're always hanging out and talking about books, not just mine, but a lot of other really amazing authors that they read Hallmark publishing authors as well as a lot of other sweet romance. So, but you can get me on Facebook or Twitter. And I really like to talk to readers and I'm promised that I'm like really not intimidating to talk to. So you can ask me anything. You can tweet me anything. You can message me, you can email me. And, uh, so, you know, get me there.
0: Great. We'll have that all in the description and we'll have links to our previous interviews as well. If people want to listen to that cause they're a lot of fun and Bree, where can people find you?
2: I'm at Falling for Romance on Instagram, and in my bio is a link to all the
0: things. <laughs> Great, and you can find me at Rachel's Reviews. All of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And make sure you're following the podcast, The Hallmarkies Pod, Hallmarkies Podcast. All of our social media, and if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. We really appreciate that. And if you are watching on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that a lot. We also have our patron group, which is really fun. And uh, we are having our uh, May activity is going to be director Michael Damien. And we're going to be watching the Christmas Waltz on the 14th. It's going to be super fun. Just make sure you check. Uh, That's only $2 a month to uh, support us on the Patreon, and we sure appreciate it. And we also have our merch store, which has tons of fun uh, designs. So check that out. And thanks again, Cassidy. This is so much fun. We'll definitely have you back. And uh, good luck with everything with the book. Thank you uh, so much. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.